Hello to everybody with cool gear. It's Beautiful Anonymous, one hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one, I think it'll be more fun, and I'll get to know you, and you'll get to know me. Hi everybody, Chris Gethard here, and welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. Uh, I'm just going to get into it today. It's nice to not be plugging too much stuff. It's not. It's nice to not have too much uh, things to tell you guys about, except for the fact that we got a great episode. An episode that I have to say affected me greatly. An episode that ever since we recorded it, I'm sitting around thinking about it. And I'm excited for you to hear it. This is real life. This is real life right here. Our caller, I don't want to reveal too much, but uh, caller has gone through some stuff hard stuff real life stuff types of stuff you read about in newspapers but you also know somebody in your hometown or somebody you went to elementary school with who fell down this path but what our caller has wound up doing now is <laughs> unpredictable unbelievable a testament to her strength testament to her resilience and i have to say it's just one of the realest conversations I've ever had. And uh, seven years in, keep, keep, I keep having these phone calls. Every once in a while, I go, man, my mind is blown that the world works the way it does. Now, with all that in mind, big times, heads up before you start it. Got a conversation here about drug addiction, suicide, a lot of stuff that some people might need uh, a, a little bit of a heads up on before you dive right in. So if you or someone you know needs help, remember the suicide and crisis hotline. You can dial 988. You can get to it right away. Uh, That being said, I hope everybody's uh, feeling good. And I hope that everybody who is ready for this episode gets something out of it. Because I think it's a very beautiful and inspirational conversation. And I hope you get as much out of it as I did. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host, Hi, how are you doing? Hi, how am I doing? This is Chris. Yeah, it's Chris. I'm in, <laughs> I'm in, I'm oh, in... oh, wow. Okay, I actually got you. Yeah, we're making okay. it happen. We're making it happen. Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm. Uh, how, how are you doing? I'm in Scotland, Edinburgh, Scotland. I'm like ten days into the oh, wow. Fringe Festival here, performing in shows. Tonight's show was the quietest reaction I got. So I'm a little in my head about that. Overall, I'm good. Mostly, I just miss my wife and son. How are Uh-oh. you doing? Uh, I'm bored. Uh, it's been a pretty boring couple of weeks. Uh, no, but I'm not working right now, so. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I, yeah. yeah, I'm in between jobs, so I took a couple weeks off and before I start my new one. And is that um, kind of the nature of the beast with you? Like, do you work in jobs where they wrap up and then you wait for the next one? Or is this, is this rare? Um, I work in manufacturing, welder by trade, airspace. And I guess there's a lot of crap going on with supply chain issues. And I got a furloughed. um, A welder? I'm talking to a welder? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. I, uh. I, I weld uh, aerospace 
spacecraft. <laughs> aerospace crap, like rockets and space shuttles? Satellites? Um, stuff like tubing and um, like fuel lines that will eventually, different components that will eventually go into gun parts, airspace parts, I'm sorry, airplane parts, stuff like that. But mostly aerospace. Oh, aerospace. Aerospace means airplanes, not yeah. space shuttles. So that's how Del Mar I am. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. I don't think any of my parts ended up on the space shuttle yet. <laughs> wow. But uh, who knows? I don't think so. Just airplanes. Um, and wow. some oh, gun well. parts, but mostly airplane stuff. Gun parts. Too. And um, that must be a head. That must be a little bit of a mind fuck right now. Uh. It's okay. Um, I mean, you mean the work itself? No, I mean working on guns in a stretch of human history where guns have become oh, like a yeah, super divisive thing. Part. Yeah. Knowing uh, the first time I had to do it, I got this job um, and they were like, okay, you're going to weld this. And I'm looking at it and like, okay, what is it? And they told me oh, it was the shoulder stock for some kind of assault rifle. Jeez. Like, oh, shit. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, you know, anti-gun, can I get something else? And, you know, I don't get paid for my opinion, so wow. I get paid to work. You got a good laugh, by yeah. the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, I, I try not to laugh, but I do, I guess, when I'm nervous, I guess. But, um, yeah, and so that with the whole supply issue, got furloughed, and, you mm -hmm. know, I took some time off to just, fuck around and do nothing and sleep in for the next few weeks and got a job offer like a week afterwards. So I told him I need a few weeks off. And he said, okay. And are you, uh, is this a, are you in the unions? No, no, just work for private companies. Um, companies like Pratt, Whitney. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you ever heard of that company, but um, yeah, I'm not a union welder. Um, the type of welding I'm going to be doing at my next job is more traditional. Um, when you do airplane, it sounds boring, so you don't want to know. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Well, yeah, I, I uh, you know, airplane parts are done by laser. So it's pretty boring. You're just sitting at a table pressing the same button all night, and I hated it. Oh, God. It oh, it's awful. pretty boring. You're just monitoring the lasers yeah. that manufacture the things yeah, that fly basically. in the sky. That's not boring. Yeah. It's like so the you most exciting thing is. I've ever heard. <laughs> you work with lasers yeah, and things that up. fly. Yeah, I guess. But knowing that, uh, I guess when you think about it, the end result, but um, where I'm going next, it's more traditional. My hand is actually working with the material with a stick welder. Mm -hmm. uh, so working on signs and whatnot. So that I love doing creative stuff like that. So getting laid off is kind of a good thing. Do you come from a welding family? I know that that is a job that sometimes that stays within generations. Um, no, um, my family from uh, started out, you know, sharecropping in Alabama, Mississippi, got into the mining business. I guess my granddad was a miner. Both of them, Whoa. but me, no. Um, I actually started out as a uh, in healthcare. In health, so I'm pretty new to this. Yeah. How recent I, did you start uh, welding? Out, um, about five years ago. 
four years ago, maybe. Your family history, um, you got, your I, family really loves jobs that are like backbreaking hard, huh? <laughs> Sharecropping, mining, yeah. welding. <laughs> you only want to, you're in, it runs yeah. in your blood. Let's, let's find the thing that would physically break most people. That's what this family does. Yeah. And, you know, I guess, I guess so. My dad, uh, he was, he worked in manufacturing. My grandparents, they, on both sides, did, you know, worked in the coal mines in Alabama, did backbreaking work so that we wouldn't have to. <laughs> and I just, you know, I guess I said, screw this healthcare crap. I want to get dirty. <laughs> when, so. What did you do in the healthcare world? Um, I worked uh, for nursing home pharmacies. Um, so the pharmacy tech and did some data entry. Um, I also worked in banking too, um, uh, loan processor, um, loan officer. So I did a little bit of everything, mostly white collar, but, um, had to make a bit of a transition uh, a few years ago. How come? So, Cause that's a, that is a, to go from like pharmacy tech and working in banks find jobs. How does one go from that? And then five years later, you're using later lasers to weld <laughs> airplane fuel lines. That's nobody saw that. coming. Um, huh? Well, yeah, I guess not, especially my family. They're like, you're going to be what? I'm going to be a welder. <laughs> I'm going to school for welding. Cause it, uh, well, it started out because um, I got in a little bit of trouble working in the pharmacy um, okay. As a lot of people do, okay. you know, got hooked on the pill. Oh, you did personally? I got caught. Yeah, yeah, and I got okay. caught. Okay. Developed a bit of an issue with the drugs, and um, you know, I got arrested. Fortunately, and you know, but as a result, you know, the felon jacket—you <laughs> can't really get too many well-paying jobs, if any. So. Um, yeah, so I, I, I was unemployed for a couple of years because no one wanted to hire me. Um, so I had to uh, rethink my future and like, okay, what am I going to do? I got a kid. I got to support, you know. Um, so a friend of mine, he talked to me and he was like, oh, you're a smart kid, you know. Um, he told me about this. Uh, class that was looking for women welders. It's like, what the hell do I know about welding? He's like, that's the point. They teach you. So I was like, okay, I'm not doing anything else. And, and that's how, you know, it got started from there, I guess. That's a story. Yeah. That's a, that's a um, lot of life in a few years right there, huh? Yeah. The addiction was a hell of a ride. Um, because, you know, I started when I was old enough to know better. But, you know, life happens and sure, undiagnosed sure. mental illness and whatnot, I guess. And, uh, I mean, at the end, I knew I had an issue. But, you know, you don't, it's embarrassing. You don't have to tell your family. They knew I had an issue, too, but they didn't want to say anything. And like my family, it's, you don't talk about things like that. Sure. Just sure. ignore it. So, is it okay if I ask questions uh, about that stretch, or is it? I, I can hear you know your voice. I hear yeah, your voice no. slows down when you go there. It sounds like it still causes a lot. Yeah, of pain. no, no, no. Yeah, I mean, it is emotional, but 
I've worked through a lot of that in therapy. So I'm not, you know, it's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm okay talking about it. Cause the, my main question is, cause I'll tell you what, I have a friend who did a very similar thing. He, he signed up to be a delivery guy for a pharmacy and he was, he was pinching pills. Um, yeah. Good buddy of mine. But I have to imagine when you're the pharmacy tech and it's this era of American history, there's probably also a lot of training on how to spot people who are giving you fake prescriptions, how to spot people who you think might be, yeah. you know, milking prescriptions out of shady doctors. I would have to imagine there's a lot of hoops you have to jump through as a pharmacy tech specifically to watch out for the people trying to, um, yeah, get, get their hands um, on those uh, opiates, right? Yeah. And, you know, ultimately people want it, they're going to find a way to get it. Um, and, uh, when I first got hooked, it was, you know, um, way back when, you know, you could just walk into any doctor and say, Hey, I need some perks and they'll just, okay, here. Uh, so it wasn't in the era of now, you know, the way it is now where everyone's aware of addiction and pills. This is when I guess Purdue is like actively pushing it. And so I knew, uh, I, I knew better, um, but it started out, I had a surgery and, you know, it's like, okay, I don't keep like my doctor for the pill. I just grab one off the shelf, one turn to two and probably like your friend. And then eventually it goes downhill from there. Let's pause right there. Cause that is sadly an all too common story, right? I bet there's other people out there like me going, I have friends who fell right into that same trap. And uh, it's very cool to talk to her about how she fell into it and, and also about how she's doing now. Wait till you hear more about that when we get back. Thanks again to our advertisers. Now we're going to go ahead. We're going to get back to the phone call. One turn to two and probably like your friend. And then eventually it goes downhill from there. Yeah, I tell you, I uh, I just had first surgery I've ever had in my life. I just had a hernia surgery. Mm. I wake up, they go, here's some moxicodone. I go, thank you very yeah. much. Simple as that, huh? You just hand me yeah. oxycodone and send me home with it. And then you tell me to go pick up another bottle of it on the way home. Now, I realized after that surgery that there was a real level of pain and that it did help. Yeah. But I also told myself, I think I took it for two days. And then I said, the rest of this has got to go. Um it's dangerous, and especially yeah. if you have unhealthy mental health issues. And um, yeah. but yeah, fortunately, I was uh, when I got arrested because uh, you know by then I already had lost my job, I lost my car, I lost my house, I lost everything. So I was like, oh wow, sleeping, um, yeah, in the extra room with my brother. Um, he had an extra room available, so sleeping at his place. And, um, so, uh, my job had already issued a warrant for my arrest because of what I did. And I didn't want to turn myself in because I knew if I did, I would have to go through detox, um, cold Turkey. So I just kept avoiding it and running. <laughs> and, um, eventually I did get arrested and, uh, that was the best thing that happened to me. Um, I mean, it's still crappy that, you know, you criminalize addiction, but 
for the time that it happened, it could have been a lot worse. You know, I was looking at I was looking at years in prison, and I got a good judge. Yeah, who understood. Yeah, I, was, I had broke a lot of federal laws getting my pills. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, it happens. It does too often. It drives me crazy, and that's true. Yeah. Let me get, let me tell you what though. And this is going to, I mean, I'm going to say this playfully, but I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm joking. This is a story that we've all heard a lot. Mm-hmm. Most people that ends with a heroin addiction and or death, you know what it doesn't yeah. end with? Signing what? up for a program to train female welders. People <laughs> yeah. Around yeah. Most I people don't not. become yeah. female welders. No. Yeah. Of aerospace and, um, technology at the end of this story. Yeah. So I'm glad that you're one of the happy stories. Yeah, it could have definitely went the other way. Like, like I had never been arrested. Um, like what happened was, uh, like I said, I was running from the cops or whatever and um, had a warrant, had several warrants for my arrest. And um, and I was still doctor shopping at that point. And so I went to go and uh, get some meds, uh, some pills where I'd normally would get it. And I screwed up and I forgot that I used it before. So I'm thinking, man, I'm going to get my prescription. And meanwhile, what the secretary was calling the cops, like, yeah, she's here. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I know why you're here. All right, let's go. And um, that first night, it was hell. And, um, you know, I didn't know what to do, who to call. I didn't know, like, okay, what happens when you get arrested? What do they do to you? You know, I'm looking, you know, remembering things that happen on TV. Like, okay, am I going to get, you know, assaulted when I get there? And, um, you know, I'm in my cell at this point. I'm puking my brains out and shit, you know, can I curse? Sorry. Yeah, say whatever you want. Oh, yeah, I'm shitting my, my brains out and puking my brains out. And um, my bunkie, she knows what's going on with me. And she was like, hey, I got something for you. And I'm like, what? And I never saw drugs, street drugs in my life. And she, I was like, what is that? She told me what it was. It was heroin. I never touched it before in my life. And I'm like sick and in pain and I just want it to go away. And I don't know how, but somehow I felt the strength to say, yeah, I'm good. I'm going to just rock this out. <laughs> Cold turkey. And, um, wow. Yeah. And I'm like, the devil touched me that day. <laughs> like I'm not into, you know, church or anything like that. But that day, oh my God, something... She, she was right there. She was like, here, let me feel better. And, um, I mean, that is a moment that you can point at more clearly than, than most people. And you can say, I don't, I'm not going to say the, cause I don't know your whole life, but I, you can say that is a turning point of your life. Hands down yeah. definitively more than most people get that. You get that. Yeah. And, and I, and the other day I probably would have said, yeah, I think. But for something, some reason that time I was like, I don't, I just heard bad stories about heroin and once you get on it, 
it's hard to get off and it's just I'm like okay at least I'm dressed on pills right now I can try to stick this out for a week but feeling like shit and I might feel better um and so I told her nah and the judge uh she was like no if you can't make a if you can't make bail in 30 days um you can go to program and you know I obviously I could my bail was like $250,000. I was like, obviously I can't make it. So <laughs> I'll see you in 30 days. <laughs> and no, no, uh, they had a bed for me available and you know, I got my shit together. It was not easy, but, um, yeah. And to, and I did a 30 day inpatient, you know, the drill 30 inpatient aftercare, all that stuff. And, um, so, uh, I, I got my stuff together. It was, uh, my arrest happened on Christmas Eve. No, I'm sorry. New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But, and how, and, how old uh, was your kid when all this was happening? He was about 15 when it happened. 15, 16 when the arrest happened. And, um... By then, he was with his dad because I was just not capable of taking care of him. Um, wow. And, uh, yeah, so uh, he was with his dad, and I'm like, okay, I don't have any son. I know my family's done with this shit. So <clears throat> um, I'm in my cell by myself uh, where I got arrested. It was a very small town, so they didn't have cameras and whatnot. So I'm like, yeah, I'm checking out. I'm done. Um, so uh, I attempted to hang myself. I took my shirt and tried to make it into a noose. And um, yeah, so apparently I was too short to reach the top of the rail, uh, the uh, jail cell. <laughs> so um, yeah, I couldn't reach it. So I'm like, shit. I, I'm too damn short to, you know, try to kill myself. I can't hang myself in here. So what's next? Uh, and during my search, pat down, they left my hair clip in it, uh, in my hair. So I, you know, try sharpening it. Um, like you see in the movies, try and sharpen the shiz. And try sharpening it on the floor. And I got a good point on it. And I slashed my wrist. So eventually, I guess, um, during... But every 15 minute check, they saw what the fuck I was doing and took me to the hospital. Or, but can I tell you something? Uh huh. Okay, first things first. I'm glad that it, I'm glad you're alive. <clears throat> now, second, secondly, I've been doing this show for over six years at this point. And you explaining that you tried to hang yourself, but then you realized you were too short for the cell, <laughs> and then you cackling like like that, how you're doing it. I can laugh I, at I can it. Say, I can say hands down, though, six years. Congrats to you. Darkest laugh. Darkest. Yeah. The darkest laugh I, that we've ever had in six years of doing the show. <laughs> I think sometimes I have to laugh at all this shit I did. Yeah. What else can you do? What else can you do? You sit around feeling bad your whole life. No, you're moving forward. You got to laugh. At some point, dark things need to become laughs if we're going to be able to get out of bed in the morning. 
Yes. And I met a lot of interesting people who helped me along the way too. So, um, and I still have a, I don't have many friends, but these people like who helped me through this journey and staying clean and not just staying clean, but just becoming a functioning adult again, you know, helping me get back to school. Yeah. Like that was, um, like the one person who even told me about how, you know, just the fact that I'm now a felon is not the end of my life. And there are a lot of trades that are okay with your record. And, um, but you have to go back to school for it. So I was like, okay, all right. You know, I, I, I have to do something different, but, um, I, I actually like it. I like what I do. Yeah. It sounds cool. And yeah. I got to ask, I got to ask, um, just cause it'll be on my mind forever. If I don't, you came out of this, this is a, be- a beautiful thing and a beautiful story and you've landed on your feet and, yeah. uh, I very much admire it. I have friends who did not make it out. I have friends who went the other way and I'm very happy that you yeah. went the way you did. Do have to ask how your relationship is with your family now and especially your kid who was, you know, Oh, sad, right? old enough to understand, old enough to, old enough to see how hard it is on you. Also old enough to comprehend how much they're losing in that stretch by not having you there. So I bet that wasn't um, easy. My, no, my family didn't trust me or shit. Um, you could not leave $5 around without me like finding it. Um, I wouldn't actively go stealing from them, but if I found it and I knew it was yours, yeah, I'll take it and keep it. Um, my son, he didn't talk to me for about two years stretch during his early teens because of it. Um, and when the arrest happened, um, we were still not on, you know, I would call, we would talk to each other maybe every other week, but it was like a forced conversation. Um, and I didn't want to force him, force it. I would try to just let him come to me when he was ready. Um, and, uh, when I, the biggest transition happened when he saw me go back to school and I guess he was, he, he, he said that that was when he realized, okay, she's really trying to do something different. Um, and I didn't think he would actually be there for my graduation. Um, but he did show up. So, yeah. And um, he showed up for my graduation. And I, that was like the turning point when things got better. And now he lives with me. Um, he lives with me full time. And he's, you know, a full time college student. Um, he's doing remarkably well considering everything he went through and that I put him through. Um, and a lot of it is because of his dad. Um, his dad didn't say a bad word about me. Wow. Um, he was honest about what I was going through, but he didn't, you know, denigrate me or anything to my, my son. Um, but my son was angry. Uh, and he told me, he was like, yeah, I was angry. Um, that's why I didn't want to talk to you, but, um, and every now and then I still check up on him like, Hey, you know, everything that you went through, like, 
yell at me something. Like, you haven't done that. Like, you know, he, he uh, had a lot of insight on it. He was like, yeah, I know that you're going through something that you, I mean, you could control, but you couldn't. And it was a lot of it was mental. So I went and make fun of, you know, being angry with somebody who has cancer and they can't help it. And, uh, yeah, but no, um, now my son and I are, we're tight. And he and she, he asked, comes to mom first. <laughs> so what was that last yeah. part? Any issue he has girl problems, you know, work related. Yeah. He comes to mommy first. <laughs> so I'll um, tell you what yeah. you want to hear what I, th- what I thought I heard. And I'm glad I clarified. What? You said any issue he has, I thought you said when he needs to shake that ass, he comes to mom first. And I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I can't even begin to imagine what that entails. Uh, yeah, I can. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah. Any it, issue it that like, he has. He comes to mommy first. Well, mom. Yeah. Um, That's so cool. Yeah he, yeah. he would not talk to me for a long time. And now. I'm the one it is. Yeah. So we're back to, I won't say normal, like normal mom son relationship, uh, because a lot of that bonding that happens, you know, being a disciplinarian, um, I was not there for that. His dad was, um, so it's kind of, it's weird how to explain the dynamic me and him have. Like I'm his mom. He knows I am. Um, he does respect me. Um, and he, he follows my rules, but it's more of a laid back. It's, I don't know how to explain it, but. Um, well, it yeah, sounds it's like it landed someplace between like a traditional parent child relationship and a friendship. Um, almost, yeah. Because when I came what? back to his life, he was almost an adult by then. So, who am I right. to come in and start, start punishing you for shit you do? Right? No. And when you're an adult who has had to keep distance from a relationship, that means that when you, when the relationship rekindles, it's because you are opting back in and he's choosing it. And in a way that's extremely special. And I wouldn't wish what happened with your relationship upon any parent or more importantly child, but that moment when he chooses to reestablish that and chooses to let you back in and chooses to have these moments where he can come to you each one of those must feel extremely special to you. It does. Um, it does. Like he had a bit of a mental health crisis earlier this year. And I was the first person he called because he knew that I, even if I couldn't understand specifically what he was going through, that I got it and I wasn't going to judge him. And, and that's you know, huge, right? You've been yeah. through a bunch of stuff where you're not going to judge anybody for anything. And that, that's a weapon as a human, as an empathetic human moving forward. That's, a, that's something that you have that a lot of other people don't have. And it, I, w- I wasn't always like that, though, because before my addiction, I didn't understand it. Um, I was like, you just quit. Because well, my mom, my husband, come from my whole family of alcoholics. And, you know, my mom, my dad, and my brothers, all alcoholics. I hate alcohol. So I didn't understand. Like, you could just put the bottle down. It tastes gross. Why are you drinking it? It makes you feel like shit. (laughs) And I didn't understand until it was my turn to have an addiction. 
in my early thirties. So, um, but I get it now and it's unfortunate. It took me to go through it to have sympathy for people like that. But sure. Sure. Yeah. And that's, uh, but life cool. is kudos to your uh your kid's dad huh I, I hope that i hope you guys still are able to maintain something because i mean you'll always be connected via him but it also sounds like he took a deep breath and in a stretch where it probably would have felt good for him to be venting everything he he chose to be classy and not do that in front of your kid and it allowed you yeah. a pathway back in like that's that's pretty cool <laughs> he was there because you know you always hear the stereotype you know the single mom the dad's not around and he was not that at all um he he stepped up and i he's a he's a horrible shitty partner but he's an amazing father so let's pause there that's a very realistic look at a relationship very realistic look you know what now we're going to take a realistic look at some products and services that might enrich your life. Check out our advertisers. We'll be right back. Thank you again to all of our advertisers. Now we're going to finish off the phone call. He's a, he's a horrible, shitty partner, but he's an amazing father. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm sure like if he heard you say, like, I imagine him listening to this someday and be like, I'm a shit, what, you you, oh, you fell into the depths. You fell into the depths of addiction. I'm the shitty partner, but you're also allowed to be a shitty partner if you're that, on the other side of it too. I told him before. It's like, yeah, you're a shitty partner, but you're an amazing dad. So um, I yeah, really lucked cool. out. It's yeah. cool. Right? Um, it's it's weird. It's yeah. a weird thing to say because it indicates pain and it indicates a relationship that didn't work out, but. When your kids around, you'd probably go, well, if you're this good a dad, I can keep some distance and accept that you were a shitty partner. Just keep being yeah. a good dad, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, it didn't work out between me and him, but, you know, we got a really cool kid out of it. So and I took him to get his first tattoo uh, last weekend. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was like, yeah. So I guess I'm more like a hybrid of between, I guess, an aunt and a mom, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that, I guess. So. How did the tattoo um, come yeah. out? Were you psyched on it? Uh, I didn't want him to get it, but I told him, I like, if you are going to be a hypocrite if I tell you not to do it, because I got him. But if you are, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just going to show you how to do it the right way. Don't go to your friend's basement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so. Make sure you look at the portfolio. And no, it came out really good. So he uh, got one for my mom. Her name, um, she passed away some time ago. And oh, I'm sorry. Um, and that was actually, you know, the one regret I do have. She didn't get me to, she didn't get to see how I am now. But where she is, whatever energy she's in, I'm sure she's looking at me and watching out. She's watching you but, weld. Uh, Jets and guns. <laughs> She's like, oh my yeah. goodness. Who would have thought this turnaround? No, I know. Like, it's weird. And, um, and it just, this whole journey just taught me empathy and understanding, I guess. 
Um, can I ask you, can I ask you a question? That's a, oh no, finish that thought. You hear you are talking about empathy and understanding and I interrupt like a fucking asshole. My no, bad. Finish no, the thought. No, 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 please. I want to hear more about empathy and understanding. Oh, oh no, I'm just saying, you know, a lot of people who I normally judge on the surface, uh, and would never have anything to do with them. Um, like they're like some of my closest friends now, but if I hadn't met them, 15, 20 years ago, it's like, I don't want to talk to you. Like, I have not, don't want anything to do with you. But, um, yeah, that's what this recovery has taught me, empathy. Yeah. Now, I'm going to ask you a question that almost flies in the face of that. It's almost the opposite. No, and I'm kidding. It's like a jokey question, but I'm also genuinely interested in the answer. So, you're a convict. Yeah. You're recovering. Yeah. Yeah. You've st- you've stabilized but things aren't, you know, you're on the bounce back so things aren't at their worst but they're far away from their best. Someone says to you, "Hey, I found out about a program where they're trying to train female welders." And now you've signed up and it's worked out. It sounds like you get to do some cool stuff. But there has mm-hmm. to be a part of you entering it going like, "Okay, so I I was stealing pills. I was an addict." Who who are the rest of these people signing up for this female welding class? Huh. Honestly, I didn't have that question never crossed my mind when I was applying for it. I just knew I had to do something different with my life. And yeah. most of the other women there, unfortunately, were there because they were ordered. Um, you know, uh, they were going through the system like I just recently went through. Uh, so okay. to get... It back, they had to prove that they were in school or something. Um, there are a few who honestly wanted to be there, um, like I did, but it, unfortunately, a lot of them were mandated to be there. So, um, the class environment wasn't the best, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm you know, sorry you, to you, laugh. Yeah, yeah, you get a bunch of women um, together who've got mental issues and dealing with their own shit. I mean, fights are going to break out. <laughs> and right, they, the court they did. welding class. Is there any, <laughs> was there anyone who was just like, oh, I just read about this and I think it would be cool to know how to weld who was just like a totally straight lace or no, like you're not even finding um, out about this program if that's the case. There were a couple girls there. Uh, their boyfriends, I guess, were welders. And they wanted to get into it also, and they used that. Uh, so we did, our class actually wasn't filled with convicts. It was uh, some with the record, some without a record. Um, so it was just a way to get into the industry. So, <clears throat> yeah, we did have a couple, actually. And they did end up getting really good union jobs, from what I heard. So it, it did work out. And I mean, they had an exist, right? Those those yeah. ones are sitting around. They're like, how'd you get into welding? It's like, well, um, you know, really the only <laughs> class available was this place where there were uh, people stopping class halfway through to get in fist fights. Um, <laughs> a, lot of mentally un, a lot of mentally unwell people who were yeah. sometimes addicts, sometimes criminals, all of them court ordered to be there. And me. And me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, like I, it, it was a... a, a really interesting um year uh that that period i was just learning so much stuff and 
I was like, at the end of it, it's going to be even worth it. Like they're telling me I'll be able to find a job, but I applied to get a job to scrub toilets and pick up trash outside of McDonald's. I was told no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So well, it, they won't hire me. Who in the hell is who's going to hire me to, you know, build parts that go on airplanes? So, um, you know, it's just fucked up how society look at criminals. Well, but that's America. That's all another issue. Well, no, I'm with you. Let me just get it on record that I'm with you that people are allowed to make mistakes and people are allowed to try to build their way back. And there certainly should be consequences for people's actions, but it's you just sit here and you go the and and in my opinion, the people who are the hardest on law and order, you did the crime, you serve the time, also tend to be the people who go, and when you get out, I don't want to think about, yeah. I don't want you what living you in my neighborhood, and I don't want to think about you, I don't want to think about this. And meanwhile, you know, some of the silent heroes of a story is like, you're, there is somebody out there who realized at some point, oh, there's there's a lack of female, well, there's an industry without diversity, there's be what the job is, what the equipment needed is, what's entailed. There's no reason for that. And yeah. there's somebody who clearly spent a lot of time going, how can I, how can I build and prepare this program for female convicts to learn a job skill in an industry where they can get hired as, as an ex-con and that's traditionally male where we can break down that wall and there'll be this breathing there is some hero somewhere in that story who realized that that was a thing (laughs) and built that program. And I bet that person has one of the loneliest, hardest lives trying to get stuff like that off the ground because we have a caste system in this country. And once you go to prison, you are part of a a caste that is an untouchable caste. And um, I certainly think there's people, you know, there's certainly people who repeat crimes over and over again, but we don't make it easy not to either. If you want to find your no. way out of that life, we don't make it easy. If you apply no. for a job picking up trash behind McDonald's and you get told no, I have to imagine there's also temptation for a lot of people at that point to go, well, I have to buy food and diapers, so maybe I should do something illegal because that's the option I have if I want to eat. And if I want that was where I was have diapers, you know? So who are we yeah. helping? Yeah, no one. And my, some, you know, I guess you could say it's a success story. I don't know. But um, occasionally uh, when it's time to, especially when I first, uh, <clears throat> when I initially stopped, uh, graduated and you know, I laid on my feet, got a job, started saving money. And I was asked to, you know, say a couple words to the people that control the purse strings. And um, my first job out of class, uh, my boss brought some people through to show what they were doing with the money um, that the program gave up. And one of the guys from the bank pulled me aside and was talking to me. And I mentioned actually what you said. And I told him, I said, you know, they don't want getting out of prison. They have to go somewhere. So do you want me to go back to school and learn a decent trade or I don't have to rely on welfare anymore? 
or do you want to just have me release back out and I'm plotting how to rob you because I can't get a job anywhere. Which one do you want? Because it has to be one or the other. And and he was like, yeah, you're right. Um, you don't make, they don't make it easy. And I'm not saying that it should be easy either because, you know, you do have a lot of people who abuse the system, but just the way that we treat records here. Yeah. Yeah. Like I have a really good friend, um, I'm not even sure if I should discuss a story, but it's an omen. Um, yeah, I have a good friend who was in a similar situation as I was. He has a record. Um, he did his time. He deserved, he admit that, you know, what he did was wrong, but he did his time and he wants to just become a productive citizen. And he's just worried that finding work is going to be an uphill battle. Um, and it is. But, you know, it's just fortunately, we both of us, we work in the trade where they do look turn the other way when it comes to records. So. But it shouldn't but, even uh, have to be. And, and it's also, you know, you look at it and you go, there, there has to be redemption. There has to be room for redemption in this society yeah. or else the idea that we're going to put you in prison is not rehabilitation. If we don't, yeah. you know, and then you think about it and you go, there's still so many places where felons are not allowed to vote. And there are my friend. And you go, okay, so that's one vote and a pool of hundreds of millions of votes. Does it really matter? And you go, yeah, it does. Because that person is being sent a very explicit message of you don't get to participate fully in society. And that's a really sad thing to carry mentally. There's certain jobs that have a right to never hire you again. You don't get to vote. It's a scarlet letter that's going to carry you around. And all four situations where people did things that I'm certain the large majority of them wish that they never fell into and wish that they could take back. And you look at things particularly like, um, you know, it's, it's one thing to say like, well, I shouldn't have to hire a serial killer if they get out of prison. You go, okay, but that's not the majority of people. The majority of people are people who get in there and go, it was addiction or, you know, you, th- you you look at stuff like addiction, you look at stuff like sex work, you look at these things that are, you know, oftentimes tied together and you go, there are people who are criminals, sure, but they are just as much victims in the sense of how much money did those families make that own those opiate pills, you know, own those opiate companies, these pill mills, yeah. these doctors who are just handing out pill mills, handing out prescriptions left and right. They're aware that people are dying. That runs right up a billion dollar corporate chain. That's, they are aware, hey, there's a lot of these pills being passed around that shouldn't be passed around and people are getting addicted and it's leading to heroin, it's leading to fentanyl, it's leading to people dying. It's leading to people in prison. You know, you think about, people who fall into addiction because of that. And you think about sex workers getting arrested who have that scarlet letter on them. And you sit here and you go, I bet that a lot of these people were suffering from addiction or they got trafficked or they're victims of abuse. And we're not doing anything to help them sort out all the stuff that surrounds that, but you can't ever vote again. And no one's ever going to hire you again. Well, what options does that give someone financially? 
And what message does that send to somebody mentally and emotionally and self-esteem wise? It's not right. It's just not empathetic or kind or right to do. And again, I don't want to get on a political highway. I rarely do on this show, (laughs) but I will say anybody who, you know, I grew up, I grew up Catholic and anybody who claims that, you know, they're Christian, but then is also a hardliner about situations like this. I go, I've read enough of the Bible to know that Jesus, uh, he was, he was friends with the, the castaways of his day. He was friends with the sex work. Jesus would have been hanging out with people under, under the bridge, looking to buy, you know, see if they can find some Percocets. That's who he would have been there with. And, and, and a lot of the people who scream about that stuff are the, are the ones who are the biggest hard, hardliners of, well, now they're out and I don't ever want to see or think about or hear from those people again, in my opinion. And they, they, and I know that your show has all kind of listeners and I'm sure there are going to be some people who are listening to my experience and say, okay, well, see, there's no excuse. She was able to make it, but it was just because I happen to live in a very liberal, well, I won't say very liberal, but a pretty liberal state um, who understands the issue of addiction. But if I was somewhere else in another more conservative state, I probably would still be locked up right now. And once I got out, hardly any educational opportunities to gear me towards this kind of work. Um, yeah. So yeah. I'm just lucky. I mean, lucky and hard work, yeah, on my part, but a lot of it, look, like, where do you live? All right, you live in this state, you're going to get fucked over. In this state, you're going to get the help you need. And um, like I, said, I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to turn it political, but um, I, like, I, I don't believe in the Bible. I think it's a book that was made up by men and to make themselves feel better. But if that's what you want to believe, go ahead. But if you really believe what you read in that book, that book tells you you are supposed to support people and love people who are like me, not shun me. Yeah. And I don't. don't. And the thing, and the thing is, you know, it's you and I both have this caveat. I don't want to get political and we don't, but it's real street level. It's not, it's not political when there's so many people living some version of it, you know, you live wherever you live and you went through it and made it out. And I've mentioned on the show many times, I have not one, but two very close childhood friends who died because they went down the exact opiate to heroin route. And I'm a pretty cheesy white guy with my head. I'm an artist with my head in the clouds. And I have two personal friends who passed away young from it. It's like, it's not political when when it gets to a point where I feel like you put 10 families, you put 10 families in a room in America these days. And I bet you can't have, if everybody's being honest, I bet you're not going to find 10, 10 families in a room where one of them hasn't dealt with some version of this addiction that leads right back to these types of pills. So that's how, to me, it's not political. You guys, because politicians, their, their job is to help us and they're not doing that. So me and you just need to speak honestly about the ways that people can get out here and help themselves. Some of it is calling out, uh, you know, speaking truth to this power, which is if you want to start a big war on drugs, uh, okay, but then you better have whole, all sorts of systems in place to help the people get out of it or else it's just a perpetual war on drugs. Congrats. You're fighting a tough, you fight, you're tough. You fight wars. Great. Yeah. 
<laughs> I hope it helps you at election yeah. season. Yeah. And, you know, and that's why I, uh, whenever the organization that did help me, you know, occasionally they'll uh, ask me to come in and, you know, give my side of the story and talk and I'll drop whatever I'm doing. I don't care if I have to work, I'll, I'll go and say whatever I can because it is important to have these kind of programs available. Um, it saved my life. Um, you know, I have, I'm finance like, you know, I could barely, only about five years ago, I could barely afford to scrape together bus fare. Um, and I'm sneaking on so I can go and get my pills. So, and that's only five years ago. And fast forward to today, I have enough money in the bank where a layoff isn't scaring me and I can take some time off and just fuck around. And yeah. I'm in, you know, I'm looking to buy a house. So, I love that. I love that. That's the system working. Yeah, when it does work. But, um, you know, when you got people who are actively trying to defund this stuff, shitty. But I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, when people go, it's simple, you know, it's also a simple thing too. When you hear somebody go like, well, why would we allocate all this money uh, for criminals? And it's like, you kind of want to whisper like, so they don't rob exactly your cheaper. house. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you're going to yeah. want to, you want to teach somebody a job skill. They'll probably go get a job. You want to tell somebody they're not allowed to vote and they can't get hired. Well, then at that some point, that person's going to be hungry enough to put a brick through a window and it might be your window that they need to sneak into to get the cash for the food, for the drugs, for whatever, to ease the pain. So I'm with you. I can't I mean, believe you had such a good laugh when you've been through all this stuff. Yeah, and um, I felt, you know, I shed a few tears if I didn't hear it, but um, it's, uh, you know, the way I still try to look at it is even with this whole getting laid off, um, this is the worst I'm doing right now. Still doing pretty good. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah. because at least I'm here to tell my story because so many people aren't and didn't make it. What kind of, uh, like what is the other, can I ask like, what's uh, the, the women who came out of your program? Do you know what kind of stuff they're welding? Is it all stuff like yours? Are there other trades? Um, like, were there other, Hey, it yeah. could be welding or it could be X, Y, or Z instead. Uh, like what are, what are the other equivalent things out there? I still talk to one of the instructors um, and he is in a union. Um, that's where I learned how to do it through a, a local union hall. Um, and he said like a few of them went down to do, we live near a submarine base. Um, and I think a couple of them tried to get in there. So they're welding um, a submarine, submarine parts. parts. Yeah. It's some sub base so cool. down, uh, down by the coast. And, um, but some of them, I think one of them got into like the pipe fitters. I'm still not even quite sure what a pipe fitter is. I think it has to do with boilers. <laughs> um, but for the most part, um, they either got into some type of adjacent field in manufacturing or those who weren't really into it to begin with probably just finished it up and kept on their way. But there are, a lot of women, though, who did finish it, who did do what I did and used the program the right way. And those were generally the women who went in there voluntarily. Like, yeah. when you get forced into it, you usually don't do what you're supposed to do with it. But that was, um, you know, that was the only chance I had to get back to a normal life. And 
Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I had to take it and run with it. And, um, I met some really cool people along the way and, um, a couple people, you know, didn't this kind of, um, in recovery, I try not to make too many friends because overdosing and relapsing happens a lot. And, um, I didn't want to get no call after call saying so-and-so yeah. died, so-and-so died. And I still do occasionally, like, you know, I'm out and about. I'll see someone who I was in rehab with, you know, still out in the streets. And, you know, chit-chat with them a little bit, give them a ride to wherever they got to go. Um, and, you know, hope that they get ready, get, get the help when they're ready, you know. But um, I do try to keep my friend group pretty small, and they get me through a lot of hard times too, because it's still not easy. Of course. Um, no, uh, life still happens, and like dealing with my brother almost dying right now, and um, oh, no. that is I'm my sorry. trigger. Um, that's my trigger. Um, death. That's what caused the soul road to addiction when my sister died, my mom died. Um, I started using pills to numb it and now I got to go through this sober. <laughs> so, um, I, the couple friends I do have who are addicts, um, and they're sober, they get me through a lot of hard shit and you know, they know who they are. So, and I, wow. and I love them for it. <laughs> it's a hell um, of a story. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I try to keep myself busy right now. Yeah. You know, just want to be, like I said, I just want to be a normal, productive person. And when you have that felon jacket, it's not easy. There's a lot of shit you can't do. Like, I want to travel. Oh, right. You can't leave the country? Uh, I think if I do, I have to, like, get permission or some shit like that. I'm not sure how it works. But I want to. Um, I know one place I did want to go to, but I know I can't. I wanted to go to Canada. <laughs> I wanted to go to Toronto so bad, but um, not allowed. It's not there. even a big yeah. ask. That's not even a big yeah. ask. Listen, no offense to all our Canadian listeners, I love you, but you're in America. You're not. It's not like you're dreaming big. <laughs> go to Canada. We share a border. I thought yeah. you were going to be like, I know one place I want to go, Tokyo. I've always wanted to see it. It looks so cool in movies. Or I want to go down to the uh, southern tip of Chile and see if I can get a boat to Antarctica. No, you just want to yeah. go to Canada. It's right there. Yeah. Yeah, it's like two-hour drive for me, I think. Two-hour yeah, drive? Uh, yeah, I am in the northeast of Connecticut. So, um, and I'm, I don't think I'm allowed if I, what I was told correctly, um, because I, I wanted something to do these three weeks. And uh, yeah, so it's going to be a hell of a try to get in. So, yeah. So I'm just uh, supposed to be going. I'm not I'm supposed to be watching the uh, this whole meteor shower thing that's happening this month. So I have no uh, idea. Just, Nature's miracles. I, what do I know? Yeah. <laughs> Another one of uh, Nature's miracles I'm not up on. Oh, yeah. Uh, I needed stuff to, to try and occupy my vacation. And I honestly thought I was going to be out, you know, traveling, going to the beach. I'd never been to the beach in my life. I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. What the hell am I doing? And I'm, you know, 
got my TV on mute watching Judge Jerry. <laughs> so, yeah. So I got one week left of my vacation. I got to figure out some shit to do. Yeah, so, you got to go do something right. cool. Make the best of it every day. I, I got money in the bank. I can basically do something that, you know, that I couldn't do financially a couple of years ago. So what should I do? I don't know. I tell you what, I, I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad you're not a few inches taller. Why? Cause you, wouldn't even, Cause you wouldn't be here. Oh yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good call back. <laughs> to the most inappropriate yeah. laugh in the history of this show. <laughs> No, I know some people are like, how can you laugh about it? Like, because if I, what, you want me to just sit here and bawl my eyes out? No. I'll yeah, put it in my wrist. What do you do? That's what you I people say that. You, what do you do? Do you think about your truth and reality all the time? I don't. I don't know. You want me to sit and think about the actual reality of who I am and, and, and what this world is? Yeah, no thanks. We better start making some jokes fast. Yeah, I mean, there are times like, you know, I sit in my room by myself that I, like, the shit I put people through, I will just bawl my eyes out. But I can't do that every time I talk about what happened. Like, not healthy. Yeah. No. So, uh, no. Laugh about it sometimes. Like, yeah. We, we have about right. uh, two minutes. We have about two minutes left. I got to tell you, I loved your oh. story. And I love where oh, you're at. You. I'm sorry that you're furloughed right now, but it sounds like you're going to bounce back. And I'm glad that you and your kid have this friendship. I'm inspired by that as a parent. And uh, yeah, I loved it, man. You know what else too? I bet there's a lot of people listening right now. Maybe they're in the middle of addiction or they got a family member who keeps falling into it. Who's been, you know, they're just about at the end of the rope and then they're listening to you and they're going, Oh, here's somebody who actually found a pathway out. I bet it's going to inspire a lot of people. I hope so. I mean, I'm just one person, but no, I've made it. It's possible. Can't believe now we're fast by the fast. Wow. I'm glad that I was able to finally get through. <laughs> yeah, me too. And do you, you yeah. wear like one of the big welding masks? You get one of the masks? Yeah, I have a welding hood and I also have welding glasses. They look like tactical shades, but yeah. So you like can either use it. big ass, thick ass gloves, like all that cool ass welding gear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it cool. gets hot under there. It's hot. Yeah. No, I romanticize. But, I romanticize the working class. Cause I think I grew up around a lot of people who are working class and my family's roots are there. Um, and there's a part of me that wishes I had a job where I had to wear big ass protective gear, but I also know uh, I would not be able to hack it. <laughs> yeah. It's an art to it. Either you got it or you don't. And I, I, I'm not the greatest, but I'm not the worst, I don't think. So Yeah, I would get left out of the room. Yeah. I, I yeah. would I would not graduate the women's welding class. I feel like they'd be like, buddy, it's not for you. All the equipment's <laughs> too heavy and there's a lot of stuff that you could that's dangerous. You could burn down a place, just sparks here. This yeah. this one's not for you, buddy. I'd be at best like the fire watcher on the, on the crew. <laughs> Yeah, it, it is a pretty dangerous job, but somebody has to do it, right? Well, well the girls glad you found it. I'm glad you fit. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, it was nice talking to you. It was lovely. I feel very inspired. I feel very happy. And I'm so, so glad that you made it through all that stuff. Sincerely. One day at a time, right? 
Caller, thank you so much. Sincerely, I feel so inspired right now. I feel positive and inspired. And I'm sorry you went through everything you did, but I'm so grateful that you're here to tell us about it. And I have a feeling there's a lot of people out there who are going to feel very, very inspired, very positive by what you've shared today. This show is produced by Anita Flores. It's engineered by Ryan Connor. Our theme song is by the almighty Shell Shag. Go support Shell Shag, everybody. I'm part of this show from the start. Go to chrisgeth.com if you want to know more about me. Wherever you're listening, you can hit subscribe, favorite, follow. It really helps when you do. And you can find our merch over at podswag.com. There's shirts and posters and mugs, all kinds of stuff. And if you want your episodes of Beautiful Anonymous ad-free, you want to check out Stitcher Premium. That's stitcher.com slash premium. If you use the promo code STORIES, you get one month free. 